This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by mezzo-soprano Kate Lindsay, who's singing the role of the muse and Niklaus in Offenbach's Tales of Hoffmann on stage now at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. We'll talk about how Offenbach's opera relates to the writings of E.T.A. Hoffmann, how Kate Lindsay keeps track of which of the many different versions of the opera she's singing in a given production, and we begin by talking about opening night and how it went. It went well. It went in a way surprisingly well. You just don't know when you're going through the week of rehearsals and orchestra rehearsals and everything else. It was it was a really insane week leading leading up to opening, um, but the audience gave us a lot of good energy. It was a really enthusiastic audience, and it's a really fun production. It's a really great production. So it it makes it easy for us to to enjoy it and share it and sell it in a way. And it's a great it's a great cast. So um, I would say it was it was it was a good success for everybody. The role of uh, of Nicholas and and the Muse. This is a role that you have sung many many times. How many times have you sung this role? Actually, oh goodness, I don't I don't know if I can count. I sort of this. I mean, this is actually the last time that I do it. I think for a while. I'm not uh-huh. I'm not putting it into the calendar, um, mainly because I have done it so much, um, and uh, and there's a certain point where you know you feel like. You sort of feel like you have you squeezed a lot of juice out of it, and I love singing it. Um, but I also I know that I have to let it be for a while um, before I re-encounter it again. Um, so probably it's I never would have thought when I started my career that this would be the role that by this point I've done the most. Um, I thought it would have been like Carabino or something like that, something Mozart for sure. Um, but probably it's probably going on, you know, eight, nine, ten times, something like that. And I've repeated several productions, done several different productions as well. But it served me well, so I'm I'm very grateful to it. <laughs> but it must be fun to uh, to really live with a role and and have a chance to do a bunch of different productions and also sort of find the the subtleties and the the differences in in the role from production to production. It really is. I I, I totally agree with that. I've found that um, it's grown a lot, and as I've grown, when I first did this role um, at the Met in 2009 the way I approached it then versus where I am now is completely different. Um, I think the way it sounds is different as well because I've grown and matured and aged um, as we do. And so it's, it's always interesting to revisit a role and see how you've grown since the last time you did it. Um, not just physically, but also psychologically, emotionally. So now it's something that I really feel like I can enjoy and I can really relish in the music and I have grown to really sort of understand this character and really have some deep thoughts about, about what this character is, which is wonderful, and then also can be difficult as you do production after production after production, because I know I don't come in with the blank slate that I really want to have all the time. So I will have some preconceived ideas from from other things that have been worked out in, at other moments, and I really have to work harder and harder to make that a, a clean slate and just be ready and open mm. to go for it. So that's that's wh- that's the double-edged sort of um, scenario in that is that when you've done a lot of productions, then 
it can become a whole sort of ball of mush in your head. <laughs> That's actually a really fascinating idea that, you know, you really do have to kind of set your personal feelings about something aside and and serve the director's vision. How difficult is that? It can really range. It really depends on the director um, and how open they are. Um, if this is a production that's a revival and it's been done a lot, then there's not a lot of room necessarily for adjustment. And so it really depends on the dialogue. But I've had to learn with this that it's okay to sort of let go of those preconceived ideas I think audience members sometimes don't realize that that so much of it is about the director's vision. So much of it is, um, and we you know can have discussions about things. Um, but you could do something, and they would say, "No, sorry, you can't. You can't yeah, do it that way." Exactly. No, I, I, I absolutely. You know, I completely disagree with that. That. <laughs> Um, that premise. Um, and, you know, we had that a little bit because I, I really had seen Niklaus as a slightly different character. And so Marta and I were really talking through it. And I finally understood what she was wanting. Um, and so I w- then was able to, to adjust. But I was seeing the character in a really sort of different different viewpoint. And those are the moments when I know, oh, yeah, I, yeah I've done this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, through research and thought and reading Hoffman's stories, it, I think it's great to come in with thoughts and ideas. I think that really enhances the experience in the room. But uh, it also is a practice. There's also a real practice in being malleable and opening your mind to other viewpoints and it turns out I really now enjoy uh, enjoy what we're doing. So it's totally fine. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Um, how similar is this, uh, this opera, the story, the literary elements of the story? How similar is it to the world of, of Hoffman's writings? Quite similar, I would say, actually. I mean, what I find really fascinating about this piece is the premise that, I mean, it started out as a play. And it was the premise that Hoffman, E.T.A. Hoffman, who, who wrote these incredibly fantastical, crazy short stories that even if you were, re- you were to read them today, you'd be drawn into it. It's not, um, yes, these are really old stories, but the way they're written, they completely draw you in. It's a really easy read. And what they do is they put him inside his stories inside this crazy world of his. Um, and that's, I think, the re- real genius behind this piece. And in his stories, you don't encounter the muse or Niklaus, but it's this pathway of, of Hoffman, who was himself a, a, a tormented um, character in his own life, and he was working that out in these stories. And so you see you know, the, the villains as well. I, I always view sort of an overall arc of understanding this is to understand that the villains are that sort of voice on one shoulder. You've got the angel and the devil on our, you know, creative shoulders, you know, and the, and the villains are that, that sort of voice saying, you'll never be good enough. You know, you can try and try, but you'll always fail. And the muse, Niklaus, is saying, no, you might fail, but you must, you must honor your art. You must keep going. You must create. You must keep that in your life because that is, that is who you are. And so when, when one understands those sort of parts of the psyche of, of that character, I think it creates a, an interesting through line mm-hmm. through all of these stories that he lives through, so to speak, in the opera. Mm-hmm. 
is Hoffmann in any sort of control of his own destiny here, or is it is it all in your hands and the villain's hands? Is he sort of being just pushed and pulled through this whole experience? Well, I I see it in a way as as Hoffman is actually he's writing these stories, mm-hmm. he's creating these stories as he as he moves through, as he makes these decisions. It's 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 almost like he's sitting there writing it, but we're we're seeing it acted out. Um, so. So there is the push and pull with, you know, the villains obviously come in to try to to try to goad him into his demise. And then the muse, Niklaus, um, trying to protect him, but then also sometimes realizing as well that he has to fall in order to find his way back up. So I see it as these are his, he's sitting there in the tavern telling these stories to these guys, but we're seeing it all live in action in the opera. Mm-hmm. This is not often Bach like we think of the Can-Can yeah. um, and yeah. some of his other operettas. For someone who sort of knows that world of Offenbach's music, mm. um, how does this compare? Who, Whose music would you um, say this is more like, I guess? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I know, I know from you know what I've what I've learned. Offenbach was really he was known for sort of the French operetta, the comique sort of um, sort of repertoire. But he really, really wanted to be respected as a true opera composer. So, gosh, comparatively, who I'm trying to think of who was be sort of his contemporary as well. I can't remember actually what sort of who he admired. Mm-hmm. As composers, I don't know. It was, like maybe in the Massenet Gounod sort thinking, of. I was thinking Massenet yeah. Gounod, um, and it was Bizet also a contemporary as well. Yeah, because I, so. I mean, because he was somebody who was able to, you know, he was working in opera comique. But I think there were a lot of composers that really sort of groaned at his work, but yet he was incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they were having to constantly find a balance of both um, within within society at that time. But then you can hear within this, you can definitely hear those slight moments of, of operetta coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he can really sweep into some incredible, um, incredibly romantic, much bigger music. What's interesting is that he died before he completely finished it. So there are a lot of different versions out there. Mm-hmm that sound very different in very, you know, various ways. So, and no one actually knows exactly what he wanted, which is fun because you can craft the opera accordingly and pick out various, various things that, that they believe he did compose for various people in its, in its incarnations. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I just, I know that he really, really desperately wanted to be honored as, as, um, a true opera composer mm-hmm. as well. And this really, um, you see it in this, in this piece, and he never got to feel that admiration. <laughs> no, no. And I, don't, I mean, I don't think it was actually considered that much of a success yeah. when, it, when it came out. It's funny that way. It makes me think, actually, historically, what are we going to continue to find, even from you know, 20th century, 21st century operas that maybe you know, come out and then don't have much of a life, and then all of a sudden, 100 years later, um, will, we, will we see some of um, a resurgence as well? Mm-hmm. I think time will tell, um, but 
<laughs> but I'm glad that he's finally s- somewhere, uh, you know, getting his getting his <laughs> adoration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you sung the different versions of the piece, and have you ever been in the middle of a performance and you have to stop and say, "Okay, this is the one that we're doing," so I can't do it. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, sometimes there are really subtle changes, yeah. like. You know, instead, right in the very beginning, I say, um, La vérité, dit-on, sortez d'appui, la muse, si vous le permettez. I go up half a step, but in other versions, I say, La muse, si vous le permettez, sortira. And for the first couple of days of rehearsal, I just <laughs> kept messing it up because I think I just do whatever I, I did before. So I have to really consciously think, Nope, this is the version where I go up here. There are word changes sometimes, mm. so I have to I have to adjust there. There's also a place where I, there are two different arias you can do just before um, the big Olympia scene. Um, you can do this voyez la sous son éventail, or you can do this une poupée, une poupée aux yeux des mailles. And so, just a few months ago, I was doing the une poupée, and now I'm doing the other one. And the introduction to it is is totally different. So I have to really say oop. Focus, focus, and listen, because I, um, yeah, I could get myself into trouble there. <laughs> they like really shut off your memory and be like, okay, this is this is yeah, this is what we're doing. <laughs> and there's no moment to second guess. Just if if yeah. I second guess, then I will put myself into a tricky situation. So I I just have to go with it, whatever I think on the first <laughs> first take. Well, we won't keep talking about this, so we don't psych know, psych getting, out I'm for really stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you sung other music by Offenbach? I've sung some arias. Um, I did uh, I, a lot for um, sort of galas. I'll do the Arcegem le militaire, le grand duchesse, and that's a. I mean, it's just really fun music. And I've done uh, another sort of party, basically a lot of quite of quite party pieces of Offenbach. I'd really love to do actually one of his operettas. I mean, with the whole dialogue and everything, I think it would be amazing. Christophe Mortagne, who's singing the the servants, we just did last year um, Chabrier's L'Etoile at Royal Opera House, you know, complete with all the French dialogue and everything. It was so much fun. It was, uh, you know, you don't, you hear the audience laughing like you just never do at the opera. So um, I think more of that would be really, would be really enjoyable. Yeah. Have you seen the review? No, I haven't. I, I'm generally pretty, I have a funny thing with reviews because I can tell when people have read them. I can tell when, like, when my colleagues have read them. And it, it, that's one thing that sort of concerns me about them is that I don't want that to change the essence mm. of the performance one way or the other. Because you can, you can really sense maybe if somebody's making adjustments to their, to their performance based on what they've read. And it's, you can think you did a really great job that night mm-hmm. and then get completely slammed. It's, it can be yeah. really arbitrary. And then some nights you're like, mm, I don't feel so good about that. And, and somebody thought it was great. It, it's, it feels, <laughs> the more I do this, it feels more and more arbitrary. You know? sure, sure. <laughs> well, and again, also, so. it's like, it, this is art. There's not right and wrong. No. There's only, you know, someone's, some one person's interpretation. But yeah. so do you, you ever read anything? Only if it gets like thrown right in front of my face. So then, you know, then you, you can't resist. But it's, I, I do feel, you know, you've got to take the good with the bad. And so I, my constitution is probably, I, well, I, I wouldn't, say, wouldn't say it's not strong enough, but I would say that 
Um, I made a decision a couple years ago. I said, well, will any of this change the fact? Will, will I keep showing up regardless? Mm. Yep. Well, would, would, any, would anything cause me to stop singing on account of that? No. So, so I, I, you know, I, you take the good with, with the bad and, you know, I, I just, I just want to enjoy it because it's such a limited time offer, you know, and we just <laughs> get, we get such a short time to actually enjoy these years of singing that I really have gotten to the point, especially because there's so much on the internet and blogs and people get really bogged down with that. And I just have to say, all I can do is try to really enjoy myself because that's the best thing I can give to, to anybody out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Performing with Vittorio? <laughs> oh, Vittorio. Um, yeah, this is the third time we've done Hoffman together. So we've got a little bit of a rhythm going on. Yeah, he's, he's a character. There's nobody like Vittorio out there. <laughs> Uh, and then what else uh, What else is coming up? I know you say you're going to put away Niklaus for a while. What else do you have on your yeah. calendar? So right after this, I, I go home. I live in London. I've got one night at home, and then I'll go to Vienna to do Marriage of Figaro. Um, so i got to add some more Carabinos to, right. to try to catch up with Niklaus. Um, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm going to do a concert tour of um, some of Cantaloupe's um, beautiful Chant mm. d'Auvergne with the Orchestre de Paris. Um, we're going to do a concert tour of that. And then I go to Glyndebourne this summer and do La Clemenza di Tito. So um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really looking forward actually to being back in Mozart land. I love, 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 love singing Mozart. There's something therapeutic, it seems like, about singing. It really is. I mean, it's, it's everybody says it's sort of medicine for the voice. And mm-hmm. it's also a really healthy barometer of where you are mm-hmm. um, vocally as well. But just, you know, the music of Clemenza is, uh, it's, just a, it's just a joy. And I love, I love singing with other people and singing these beautiful ensembles. It's in addition to the arias. I, I, I really love, I love the construction of the piece and, and what it means. It's going to be a nice, nice time. Sounds like a fun uh, future couple of, of months, engagements. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to the rest of the run here at LA Opera. Well, thank you very much. Soprano Kate Lindsay is singing the role of the Muse and Niklaus in Offenbach's Tales of Hoffmann on stage now at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion through April 15th. You can get more information and see some video clips from the production at laopera.com. This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen.